Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello, everybody. Good morning over there. All right, good to see you. <laughs> it just sounded like it was dying. <laughs> Uh, it's good to be with you today on this Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. And those of you watching from home right now, and those of you watching this a couple months from now or during the week, and uh, just good to be with you again. Uh, we are currently in our series, Impact Events. And today I want to talk about uh, uh, coming clean, <clears throat> which is an impact event that should be ongoing in our lives. Um, have you ever had, I'm just curious, have you ever had... Um, a moment, or by if you've been saved a long time or just been alive a long time, you've probably had many moments where you kind of realize something about yourself, impact event, you had to come clean with yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We had to change something about yourself. Any, anybody? Any, okay, good, because uh, I, I think that's a periodic thing that should be happening uh, as we're conformed more and more to the image of Christ for the follower of Christ, just as a human, though. These things, as you face yourself, you... Um, you enhance everything. You, you're a better employee, better boss, better friend, and better relationships, better spouse, whatever it is, you're just better. Because now you're dealing with the issues in your life and what needs to change, and every one of us here has, a, has some baggage, I would imagine, right? I, I know I got some baggage, and you're probably saying, amen, brother, you do. But anyway, um, <clears throat> and, and let me give you a drastic situation of why this is important, and this is just an extreme situation, but this does happen. I remember <clears throat> I was probably a Christian for about uh, maybe a year, and um, I had a friend of mine that I, I didn't see much in my, we were really good friends growing up, and he came over one day out of the blue, and uh, he was now married, and I, at the time I don't think I was married yet, I don't think I was, but um, he came and he asked. He came to see me and he asked me this question. Here's what he said. He said, "Jimmy," because all my growing up I was Jimmy, and I preferred that actually over Jim because it just sounds younger. Amen. Um, but he said, "Jimmy," um, because he was now having marriage problems. And here's what he asked me. And it took guts to ask the question. Why he came to me, I don't know. But he said, "Jimmy, um, what did you see in me that all the years we were growing up that you know was you know?" And I said, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah." And I shared with him the things I saw. You know, I said, you're just very cold, very selfish, you're just angry. And I named all the things. And then I'll never forget, as he looked at me and he listened to everything I said, and, I, and then he kind of looked down, looked up, and he said this. He goes, that's exactly what my wife said. And it was like, whoa. You know, so that they were having some marriage problems, and she was pointing out the things in his life that we always saw. And of course, I had my own issues. I'm, not, I'm no angel, I was no angel. And, um, but that's a drastic situation where the marriage didn't last. After that, they broke up and they, they divorced. And so I think this whole coming clean thing is a real important thing in our life. It just makes you a better person. Um, you know, Jesus, um, he makes, a, 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 how many know Jesus makes some great statements? And, and, and there's, because how many know he's a pretty smart guy too, right? Yeah, I, I've noticed that myself when I read these gospels. In the first gospel, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 3, 4, and 5, let me read it to you before we get into our text today. Watch what Jesus says about this. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? 
this is a great, he goes, why do you do that? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye, right? Then verse 4, he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. And then verse 5, he finishes this little idea here. He says, you hypocrite. How, how many of that's not a really nice thing to tell anybody, right? But Jesus says, he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I used to kind of gloss over those verses about the, I've been a Christian this, this August will be 42 years. About the first 25 years of my faith, I glossed over those thinking I really had that one down and I understood it. No, I had no clue about it. Until a lot of things had a break in my life and God used traumatic experiences and mistakes I made to really break these things down so I could understand. Here's what Jesus, what, what, what I like about it. <clears throat> he says, first off, he says, why do you notice a speck in your brother's eye? How close do you have to look into somebody's face to see a speck? You've got to look really close, don't you? I mean, you've got to really zero in, laser in, focus in on that. It's almost like you don't see anything else, but I'm going to look and see what's wrong in your life. That's what he said. Why do you do that? He said, but you don't look at the log in your own eye, Jim. Now, log? Oh, my gosh. Now, now he, and how many know that these are, were funny things to the disciples, the way Jesus is you know, using hyperbole? This was, this was funny, actually. Um, but it is true. He says, um, he, no, I want to tell you what he's not saying. He's, he's not saying that you know, we acknowledge, once we acknowledge our faults, now we're free to go tell somebody else what they need to fix. That's not what he's saying at all. And a lot of people do that, don't they? Both Christian and non-Christian. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, first take the log out of your eye. In other words, yank the plank. And once you yank the planks out of your life, then he says, then you can see clearly to go remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Christians think that means once I fix me, I can go tell you. No, no, that's not what it means. To see clearly means to see like God sees. Would it, does it not? So if we see the way God sees and we have a worldview the way God views, we're going to walk in love and, and we're going to walk in compassion. We're going to walk in a tenderness. And so it's not just like, well, now that I fixed me, I'm going to go tell you. No, 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 no. You see, the New Testament teaches us that, um, <clears throat> that I'm to speak the truth in love. That's right. Now, that's truth and there's love. There's, two com there's a combination there. Now, I want you to think about this because it, it, there's one thing to speak the truth, but I must have love. And that does not mean that you go up to somebody and say, you know, I love you, but let me tell you about you. That's not what it means. And we'd like it to mean that, wouldn't we? No, it's more along this lines. Love means you've developed relationship with the person, correct? You love them, you've developed relationship, and once you have this relationship ongoing, ongoing, ongoing that you've developed, then you can sit down after you've taken the plank out of your life, then you can say, you know, can I share something with you? But if you don't have relationship with that person and all you do is meet with them or talk to them every so often to tell them something, then you have, if it was me and, and you did that to me to have a relationship, I would sit there and go, okay, and I wouldn't listen to a word you say to be honest with you. I'm too old to play. I'm too old to throw candy. Any amens on that? It's like live biblically. You're just, no, I won't say any more about that. But anyway, so, but he's saying that we need to come clean with ourselves. Yank the plank out of your own eye, Jim. And this is an ongoing thing in our lives if we want to continue to grow and be like Christ. Now, we're going to talk about this coming clean issue because it's a very big impact event in everyone's life if we want to get better in life and walk more like Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you just want to become a better person, so yank the plank. 
So let's hold that thought. We'll get into it in a second as we get into our story. But let's look at our key verse for the series, and that's this. Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Would you read it with me? Any amens on that? Yeah? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Verse 19. Behold, I'll do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Now, once again, the literal idea of this is Isaiah is prophesying, writing these things a hundred years before uh, the Babylonians are going to invade Jerusalem and take them, take everything in the temple and deport Daniel and the guys. He's writing a hundred years before the moment. And then verse 18 and 19, as he writes that prophetically, he is now... um, speaking 170 years into the future when Israel comes back to their land because the Persians conquered the Babylonians and the Persians are different. They'll let the Jewish people go back to rebuild the temple and the wall, etc. And so um, as we see verse 18 and 19, they've been in captivity seven years. This is futuristic. And 70 years, they'll come out. And when they come out, he says, look, don't think about the past. I'm going to do a new thing. Rivers in the desert. I'm going to open up a roadway. It's like this. This is going to be a big impact event in your life. It's going to change your life when you come out and you go back. But don't think about the past anymore. That you is gone. That you is dead. I'm going to do a new thing in your life. How many of you have seen Jesus do new things in your life? You're stiff. Raise your hand. I need to know if I'm talking to the right crowd. Okay, some of you haven't. We'll get you there, okay? Um, Now, so this impact event shapes the future. And all impact events in our life, they do reshape our future. So let's make the statement all together. One, two, three. Impact. They do shape our future. So today, if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, or on your app, or whatever you're going to be using at home, whatever you're using, we're going to look at a New Testament, um, a woman in the New Testament gospel of Matthew. Matthew's the, I'm sorry, Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the second letter of the New Testament. The New Testament's 27 letters. Old Testament's 39. They come together in this one book called the Bible. But there are 66 different letters. Now, watch this. I'm read five verses, and then I'm going to give you an understanding of what this woman has been going through and is going through. When Jesus crossed over again in the boat to the other side, he's just healed a demon-possessed man, crossed the lake through a storm, healed one guy, got in the boat, came back on the other side. Does Jesus care about the one? Say yes. A large crowd gathered around him, so he stayed by the seashore. So he gets back, and everybody's waiting for the guy. And so he stays right by the shoreline. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell uh, at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, and now here's Jairus. Jairus has a problem. Here's Jesus. He says, Jesus, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. This man's desperate. And he went off with him. So Jesus starts down the road with the man. And a large crowd was following him and notice and pressing in on him. So there's a lot of people around Jesus who walks and they're all pressing in on Jesus. A woman now, enter the woman. Here's our case study. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, now let's stop right there before we read on. Let me, let me explain what's going on here and why, so you get a good understanding of why this woman's situation is really tough. 
This woman, because she's been bleeding and continues to bleed, she is um, socially and she is ceremonially unclean. Now, socially, uh, let me go ceremonially. Ceremonially, it means that for like you and I, it would be the idea of you can't come to church. She can't go to the temple because she's unclean. She can't go to what's called the court of women at that time because she's unclean because it's bleeding. Now understand, that's a different time frame, different. She's an Old Testament woman because Jesus has not died, has not been buried, and hasn't risen from the dead. She's Old Testament. Do you understand that? And so she's operating under a different uh, set. You and I, all of us followers of Christ, we are New Testament people. Say, thank you, Jesus. Now, some of us have questions about, uh, okay, so which parts of the Old Testament do we obey, right? You ever had that question? Nobody? I'll just move on. I don't have to answer it. You have that question? Okay, so Paul writes in the New Testament, he says, these things were written for examples for us. He's not talking about New Testament letters. He's talking about the Old Testament there because they did not have a Bible, the early Christians, like you and I have. They didn't have that. So he says, for one side, the Old Testament stories, they were written for us as examples to live by and to learn from. Now, how do I know what laws in the Old Testament I follow and I don't follow? It's very simple. Because you and I have a new covenant that Jesus set in place. If, that, if an Old Testament law, if you can find that in the New Testament, guess what? Then you still follow that. Now, if you can't find that Old Testament law in the New Testament, guess what? It doesn't pertain to you anymore. It pertained to them. And always remember that. Otherwise, you're going to get all caught up in a lot of things you don't need to get all caught up in. Some of you debate over tattoos. Really? Really? You debate over that? New Testament? Do you say no tattoos in New Testament? You never find that. That pertained to them because it had to do with idol worship and different things. So that doesn't pertain. So people get tattoos now? Yeah, it's fine. Just don't, New Testament can speak all about risque and bad words. So you don't put those kind of things on your body. So this woman is coming out of the Old Testament. She's an Old Testament woman. But she's um, also socially unclean because of this, which means this. She cannot touch anybody. If they touch her, they're unclean. She had a divorce or her husband had to divorce her because he would be unclean with her. She had to leave her home. She can't be around her family anymore. How many know that would be a very painful lifestyle right there? So she's lost everything. This woman is in pain. It's been 12 years that way. And we're going to look at a couple things uh, first and then we're going to look at the impact event. Now, what I like about this series is I get to kind of break down stories and go different ways and then I'll bring it to the impact event. So the first thing I want to say of three things today, and that's this. Number one, your notes. We come clean when we come to the end of ourselves. Would you agree with that one? Hopefully we don't wait that long, but I guarantee you when we come to the end of ourselves on something, that's when we're going to come clean to ourselves, right? Now, watch verse 26. And had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. How many know that's painful? <clears throat> She's tried everything. Now let's think about that. She's tried every procedure. She's tried every good doctor. She's tried every quack. She's tried everything when somebody's coming to town saying, I have this magic elixir, this potion. If you buy this, it heals all kinds of things. She's tried it all. And nothing's worked. In fact, not only has nothing worked, what has happened to her? She's worse. 
Now, that's, that's a really tough situation to be in. Now, I'm a pastor, and I've been a pastor for, um, oh, gosh, 36 years I've been in full-time ministry pastoring. And let me tell you, as a pastor, one of the things that's very frequent, a very frequent experience in your life is this, because you're always dealing with people. And you're dealing with people womb to tomb. You're there when people have babies and you rejoice with them. But you're also there when people get sick. And it weighs on you. And I've been through that many times with people. And I've lost good friends in this church who died before they, I think they should have. But they got sick. And I've watched where, you know, in some cases, they get sick and they try some new kind of thing out there with the hope that it'll work. And I, we pray for them and sometimes it does work. But I've seen many times it didn't work and they passed away. <clears throat> it's not easy. It's not easy. And when you're in that situation ministering to people, you don't even know what to say. But you just sit there with them. Let me tell you, let me talk to you seriously about something. When, when the prayer isn't answered, and I don't know why it's not answered, and you lose somebody or something, it's easy to become an emotional atheist, is it not? It's easy to say, well, you know what? I don't think God exists anymore because God, you know, God didn't heal my mom or God didn't save my marriage. God didn't help me keep that job. God, I prayed that I wouldn't lose my house and I lost it. God, my child died. Why? Where were you, God? And it's easy to become an emotional atheist. It really is. And you watch that because you see... If a Christian typically walks away from God, it's not for theological reasons. It's not because they don't believe there is a God or theology. It's because of an emotional reason. It's a proven fact. You know what I like about this woman? She has every emotional reason to walk away from God. Does she not? She's got every emotional reason. But she doesn't. Instead, what this woman does is she moves closer to God as she moves towards Jesus. And I like that about her. She's come to the end of herself, but the end of herself has led to Jesus Christ. And I like that. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. What's not working leads to rethinking. Have you ever experienced that one right there? Now watch in verse 27 and 28. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, his robe. For she thought... If I just touch his garments, I will get, say it, I'll get well. Now, here's what she does. Instead of becoming an emotional atheist, she thinks, I'm going to give it another try. Here comes Jesus. There's a, big, a lot of people around there. And so what does she do? She thinks to herself, if I just touch the edge of this guy's robe, I think I'm going to get healed. Now, guys, friends, that's a whole new way to think, is it not? She's going to try something new because when something's not working, doesn't lead to rethinking any amens. And sometimes that's the healthiest place I think I can be in. When something isn't working, 
Now I have to sit back and I've got to rethink that situation. The problem with some people is they keep doing the same thing. We know that's called insanity. You keep doing the same thing repeatedly thinking you're going to have different results and you never have different results. She now has, it's led her to rethinking. In other words, if you follow sports and your team's behind 35 to nothing and at halftime, does the coach go in there and say, we're going to keep running the same plays? Does he do that? No, he rethinks the situation, does he not? This isn't working. Let's put in some new plays. Now, one of the great examples of rethinking and changing some kind of course here to fix a situation is this. Do you remember when Jesus, um, the women come there to the tomb and they're the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection? You remember that one? But then Jesus tells them, resurrected Jesus, and they're eyewitnesses to him being alive again. He tells them, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, especially Peter. And so in John 21, the fourth gospel, they go to Galilee and they're there and they're, they go back to fishing because that's what they were good at. That's what their profession is, most of them anyway. And Jesus meets them there and he yells out, hey children, have you caught any fish? He's on the shore, they're on the boat and they yell back, no! And he says, well, pick up your net and put it on the right side of the boat. In other words, you have it on this side, put it on that side. Now, that's a change, is it not? So they do that and they pick it up. They don't move the boat, they just pick up the net and they throw it on this side. And what do they catch? They catch a grip load of fish, and this time the fish are counted. Do you remember how many fish there are? 153. 150. Now, you, anything in the Bible is always there for a reason. It's not like, well, 153 sounds like a good number to put out there. No, there's, a, there's some reasons behind it. And I'll just sidebar and come back to what we're talking about. But at the time, the ancients believed that there were 153 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that interesting? And so in a sense, they caught every species of fish. Now you take that on a bigger wide picture and these guys, these disciples who are going to go out and share the gospel, if you catch every species, it's almost like he's telling them, follow me and you'll catch every ethnicity and every people group out there in this world. That's your target. That's who you're aiming for. Isn't that something cool? Any amens on that? I like that a lot personally. If you didn't, okay, pray, praise the Lord. But, but they catch all these fish. Why? Because they rethought the situation. Jesus gave them a different idea and boom, they had success and they have all kinds of fish uh, because they did that. Now, <clears throat> I got some questions. The woman says, as she rethinks her situation, now, now don't just yell out yes or no quick. You got to think. If I just touch the edge of his robe, I'll be made whole. Is that theologically correct? Is it theologically correct? No. No. It's got every theologically incorrect thing about it. The only thing that she has correct is the object of her faith is Jesus, right? Let me tell you something. When you run into young Christians, and hopefully, I mean, new in the Lord, and I'm talking first four or five years in the Lord, is their theology correct all the time? <laughs> you hear them say things, and you're going like, ooh, that's not right. Just relax, okay? Just relax. Because you did the same thing, did you not? Remember when you were a white belt Christian? 
You didn't have all the techniques and things down right. Just relax. Don't go up there and try correcting everybody all the time. You want to help them along? Be, become their friend? Say, you know, I wouldn't think of it that way. I'd think of it this way. This is the way the Bible teaches. So they have a great reason to look at things wrong. She's, everything's wrong about her theology except the object of her faith. And thank God new Christians have Jesus as the object of their faith, right? That's not the problem. The problem is when somebody's been Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, and they still have a lot of things that are wrong in the way they look at things, right? And they have to get back to the Word of God and study this thing, and so they don't get all kinds of crazy statements like this going on. And we've all heard some of those statements, have we not? And maybe some come out of our mouth. So I like the fact that she makes that statement. It just shows that she's starting on her journey with Jesus Christ. Real quick, the second thing I want to point out about that is this. Look, if you're going to ask, she asked the question, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if you and I ask a life-changing question, we better be ready to do something when we get the answer, right? If we ask God, God, what do you want me to do for the kingdom of God with my life? You better be ready for the answer, right? I would. You know, if we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me me. What do I need to change in myself? You better be ready for the answer. And you better be ready to do something about that answer right there. Now, the third thing I want to point out is this and get to, and there's our impact event, and that is personal honesty. Now watch verse 20, uh, 29 to 34, <clears throat> and it says this. Now she's grabbed the hem of his garment, and now it says, Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. How happy would you be in that moment? Immediately, Jesus, have you ever noticed Mark's favorite word is immediately? It is. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd. Now, remember, they're all pounding against him. He stops. He turns around. And he says, who touched my garment? Now it's going to get comical. His disciples said to him, What? You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? In other words, everybody has. They're all pressing against you. How can you even ask that question? How can we even know which one, who you're talking about? Verse 32, he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, let me make some quick observations before I hit this personal honesty thing. Did you notice that when a flow of power came from Jesus, that the flow of blood stopped in her body? Did you notice that? Did you notice that the moment Jesus felt felt, felt power coming from him. She felt healing in her body. Did you notice that? There's these things as they meet, one ends, one begins. It's interesting. But there's a massively brief statement involved in here that honestly, I've been reading this thing for 42 years and I never caught this little piece right here until I started to put this series together. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. It says that when he stopped the show and said, who touched me? Who's the one who did this? In verse 33, it says that she came and fell down before him and told him the whole 
truth. I like that right there. Now, she tells him the whole truth about what? The question, who touched me? So what is she answering? She's saying, I'm the one. I'm the one who did it. Now, when he asked her, you know, you know when he asked the question and she said the whole truth, I, let me tell you what I know she didn't say. She did not say things like, well, you know, life has been really hard on me, you know. It's not fair what's been going on with me. I had to divorce my husband. I can't even see my kids. She didn't say that. She didn't say, you know, more people should have been there for me, but they just weren't there for me. She didn't say that either. She didn't say things like, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't you know, society come and do things for me? No, she didn't say that either. You know, it's not fair. I can't go into the temple. It's not, she didn't say that either. She said, I'm the one. I'm the one. I reached out. I touched her. I'm the one. See, she didn't point out all the things that went wrong in her life. She's instead saying, I'm the one. She's honest. Why is it so hard to be honest with ourselves? Why is it so hard when you're in a debate or argument with, say, your spouse, and they point out something about you, you just can't be honest? Why is that so hard? Why is it that we'd rather, or some people, I should say, not us, maybe you guys are holy, I, I don't know if I am. Why is it that instead of being honest about ourselves, we put other people under our law? In other words, we have certain expectations. We expect other people to live according to what we think they should be living, right? Right? We do that. Let me tell you, if you walk around looking at others and thinking they should be doing this and should be living this way, that's a great way to live angry, is it not? That's a great way to be miserable. That's a great way to make others miserable. It just is. No, be honest about yourself. This is one of the things that, I don't know, uh, I use social media for biblical reasons, but some of it just like, I'm just fed up with it. Anybody? Because when, because when you see people, it's like, this is a platform with zero responsibility. That a person can go on there, and I'm talking about Christian church people right now. They go on there, and they start attacking all these things, and I'm thinking to myself, if you want to do that, then let's go back to what Jesus said and first yank the plank out of your own eye, right? Right? Uh, not you guys at home. Right? At home? No, no, you don't say anything. Okay. At home, I'm talking to them at home right now. Right? And don't say anything. And you watching this on Thursday, Right? So I got a better idea. If you're going to start criticizing this or that, then please first list the 12 to 20 things that you don't want anybody to know about you that are wrong. List the planks, okay? Deal with the planks. And then you can see clearly to maybe make some observations. Am I right? Is that a Jesus way to go? Yeah, that's the better way to go. That will keep all the criticisms and all the people on the perch at home with zero responsibility being able to put something out there that no one's that four people are going to like 
No, take responsibility and be honest about yourself. Let me tell you something about that Jesus had to do with Peter, and he had to do this, and, and he does it with you and I. And let me explain it, then I'll tell you what. Do you remember the night that Jesus says, um, tonight, he's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, tonight you're all going to betray me, you're going to run, you know, they're going to strike down the shepherd, and what does Peter say? Not me. Not me. I'll never, ever walk away from you, even if I have to die with you. I'm not going anywhere. And then, of course, when Judas comes with all the guys, what does Peter do? He runs. And then when they're sitting around the campfire, that when he's following Jesus, he's arrested, and the little girl says, servant girl says, you're with Jesus, what does Peter do? No, I don't know him, I don't know, I've never even met the guy. Now, I want you to think about that. Why does this exchange have to happen for the sake of Peter? Because there's a lot of things happening in the story. Because the question is, does Peter really know what he's capable of? Does Peter really know what's in his heart? And the answer is no. He's got to go through the situation to realize, I don't even know myself that well. Because I said that I would never deny, I would never betray, I would never disown, and here I'm doing this. Let me tell you something about your heart and my heart. We don't know ourselves as well as we think we do, do we? None of us do. The one who knows us better is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can reveal things to us. And that's why you want to grow close to God because he can reveal things and then he, he's got the power to change stuff in our lives as we come clean. Now, let me, let me give you two uh, last biblical uh, principle stories and then I'm going to try to drive this puppy home. Does that sound good? Okay. So there's this moment in time when Nehemiah, who's one of the great Old Testament characters, Nehemiah, he goes back to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in 445 B.C. He gets there, and they have to rebuild the wall because cities that were, in Old Testament times, they would build them up on hills, a tell, like tell of Eve, tell, it just means like a hill, and they build walls, so if the enemy comes, they just have to climb, 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 climb. That's the way they build it. It's a smart move. And so, Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the wall, and he does. In 52 days, he gets that wall up. It's amazing what he gets accomplished and because cities need defending. So Jerusalem's wall is up. He's got to go back after so many years because he works for the king of Persia. That's, he's the cupbearer. He's got to go back. So he's got to go back for a while, and he goes back. But then he comes back to Jerusalem after going to Persia. He comes back, and there's a problem because he left, and now there's a problem in Jerusalem. He looks and he sees what's, what's happened. On the, in the temple, the wall's been built around the city, and there's a temple. In the temple, there are these side rooms to the temple. In these side rooms is where you put all the um, utensils used in the operation of the temple for the service to the Lord. He comes back, and he cannot believe what he sees and what these people have done. In these side rooms, they've taken out the utensils of the Lord. They let somebody go live in one of these rooms, and they let that person bring all their furniture, baggage, everything, and live in the side rooms of the temple. That's bad. Nehemiah is irate. He's, man, he's angry about that one. And so he just 
pull that guy out of there, pull all the baggage out, clean that thing out, and put all the proper utensils in there. Now, I want you to think about this. Nehemiah, do you remember what his name means? Comforter. He's a picture of the Holy Spirit. You and I, when we became followers of Christ, the Spirit of God came to live in us, and now we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And here comes Nehemiah, the comforter. That's one of the New Testament names for the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. And he sees all the baggage in the temple. You and I are the temple. And he cleans that whole thing out because this is not the way it should be operated. This is not what it was created for, this temple. And he puts the right stuff in there. Do you realize that's what the Spirit of God does in our life with with regularity those are the impact events where all of a sudden the light goes on at a certain point of our life whether it's some bring coming to the end of ourselves or we read something or something lights up and realize I'm not operating correctly I'm living according to old baggage and the spirit of God illuminates you and says this has got to change now it may not be some terrible sin. It just may be the way you operate, maybe the way you think. But it could be a bad sin. It could be a sin. I shouldn't say bad sin, but a sin. But the Spirit of God says, it's time to yank that out. Get that out of your life now. Let's come clean now. All your life in this area, you always said, well, it says, no, 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 come clean. Let's get the baggage out. Because you're the temple of the Spirit of God, and you're conforming to the image of Christ. See, the woman in the story, she's honest. She comes clean. And for some of us, we've stopped coming clean a long time ago. Listen, the longer you're a Christian, the harder it is to come clean because you conquered things, you know, 25 years ago and you think that was the end of it. No, it keeps going. It doesn't end. And it's not a condemnation. You don't put yourself down. You just realize, oh, uh, this is not right. I need to fix this. I need to change this. I got to yank the plank. You know, one time... Old Testament character, Jacob, first book of the, of the Old Testament, Genesis. He, um, he's coming home after 20 years. And he comes to a river as he's bringing his family and his caravan of stuff because he's accumulated quite a few things. He comes to the Jabbok River, sends his family forward because it's the last time he saw his dad and his brother Esau. His brother Esau, the last words of Jacob were, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you. Because see, Jacob tricked dad and he tricked his brother and he got from them what was not his. He tricked them. He was a liar. And now he's coming back and he left on the lamb to get away from his brother. Now he comes to the Jabbok River as he's coming back. 20 years later, the word Jabbok, you ever heard an Old Testament uh, small prophet, minor prophet called Habakkuk? Jabbok, Habakkuk? It means the wrestler. And there at the Jabbok River, he begins to wrestle with a man. This man shows up and he wrestles with the man all night long. You know who the man is? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's Jesus before he ever came in the flesh. See, Jesus is eternal. Jesus always was. Just we know that he took flesh at a certain point in history to come save mankind. But that night, Jesus shows up, the pre-incarnate, and he begins to wrestle with Jacob, and he wrestles and he wrestles. Because see, Jacob's got to change. And light is starting to, the, sun, the sun's starting to rise. And Jacob says, no, you need to bless me. You need to bless me. 
And then the man, the pre-incarnate Christ, he asked Jacob a question. Do you remember what he asked him? He says, what is your name? Question for you guys. Does Jesus, God, pre-incarnate, does he really not know Jacob's name? He knows Jacob's name. So the question is, why does he ask Jacob his name? Let me tell you why, at least a reason why. Because the last time we ever read in Genesis, 20 years earlier, when he walked into his father and he had that, the animal hair on him to pretend like he's his brother because dad was blind by then. And he wanted to try to, wanted to steal uh, the blessing. His dad said, you know, you, uh, you don't really sound like Esau. Come closer. And he feels like him. He goes, and he asked him, who are you? And Jacob, blind to his father, when he was asked, what's your name? He said, I am Esau. He lied. He lied. 20 years later, and God doesn't forget, he's got this guy Jacob at the Jabbok River wrestling. You ever wrestled with God? You ever had wrestling moments in your life where these are key turning periods of your life? They should be somewhat regular here and there where it's like, this is time to make a turn in my life. I got to come clean. And he's wrestling. He says, what is your name? He can't say Esau. He says, I am Jacob. You know what Jacob, you know what that name means? Trickster. Some of you named your kid Jacob and you call him Trickster. He'll catch your supplanter. He's a trickster. He says, what's your name? He goes, I'm, I'm trickster. I'm the liar. I'm the deceiver. And see, at that moment in time, Jacob has to come clean. Or else he cannot cross the Jabbok, and he cannot go and find out that God has reconciled things. He has to change. And he cannot change until he's honest about himself and he comes clean. That's an impact event. And once he says, I'm Jacob. I'm a trickster. God then touches him on the hip and he'll limp that way for the rest of his life. He'll walk differently and he changes his name to Israel. It's the impact event of his life where everything changes because impact events reshape your future. And that's how Israel got the name Israel. Right that moment in time. That's when it all changed. Listen, listen, listen. And it all started because he just yanked the plank. I'm a trickster. I'm a trickster. And then God touches him, and now he's going to be a blessing. And now his life has changed. Jesus said this, last thought, John 8, 32. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, we honestly literally know this is talking about the truth of God's word. Once you keep reading this, studying this, take it in, memorize some things, put it in practice, it washes your mind and it sets you free. You found that to be true? That's why I make sure this is what fills my mind, not a lot of things out there. And not a lot of those posts out there that I read are just so off the wall, crazy. This fills my mind. I'm not going to give my mind to something else. The truth sets free. But could there be another essence within there, another application with that? not apart from it, but with that, that not only as I read the word, does the word set free, you shall know the truth, and the truth sets free. Could there be another part of it that says, I've got to come to the truth about myself? Any amens? And, and by the way, this is not a message where you're going to say, I wish so-and-so was here. I'm going to get them to watch this. It's not going to help them. You're here. I'm here. You look at yourself. Yank the plank. And once you do, 
And once you come clean, you're going to watch your life get better in multiple areas because it affects everything. When was the last time, and this is the big question, the last question, when was the last time and, or what are some things that you just need to be honest with yourself about? Or have you ever sat down with the family and said, tell me some things I need to change. Just give me two because they, they might give you 22, okay? You don't want that. Give me two things that you say, you know, mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever, you need to change this. This needs to change. Because it's been going on for years, and you, I don't know if you see it. But you would be such a better person if you changed this. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. And do not walk around becoming a Christian Pharisee looking at everybody's speck in their eye. That's a waste of time. At home, later on this week, here, it's a waste of time. Yank your plank out. Then you can see clearly. You can be compassionate. You can be loving. You can be kind. You can be all these things and live out life correctly. But be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Jesus, one of the, this is one of those impact events that reshapes our life in in greater ways. It sure frees us. In closing, let me just rephrase it. What is something or some things that you need to be honest about yourself? Look at the the log, logs, and quit looking at the specks. And allow the Spirit of God to change you. To change me. Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you for these stories. That woman who was honest that day went home healed well and whole. That's a big lesson. That's a big, big reshaping. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for that. I just want you to think for a second. This is one of these messages where you got to think. It's more of a for Christians, followers. But if you're not a follower, hey, think about your own life. Think about one or two things you think, you know what? Holy Spirit, I know that about me. And I got to change that about me. Take 15 seconds. Just talk to the Spirit of God right now about that. If you're gutsy enough, ask Him to change you. And if you're super gutsy, then walk in that change. At home, do the same thing. 
If you're watching this later on this week or a month from now, do the same thing. Come clean. What a better world we would live in if everybody did this. Instead of the insanity that we see from all sides. Come clean. And if you're going to start criticizing anything or anyone online, post 12 to 20 things about yourself first. Post the ugly things first. Yank the plank. Live like Jesus said to live. Come clean. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for your word, God. Some of these things in scripture, they're difficult, they're tough, but they're for our benefit and they're for our growth. And they make life better. They make relationships better. They make friendships better. Boy, they give us more peace, especially when we don't have everybody living under our expectations of how they should live. That reduces a lot of irritation and impatience in us. It reduces a critical spirit in us because now we're having to deal with ourselves, coming clean with ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. And you do these things just to heal us so our life is better. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.